Hey everyone, we awake? I'm awake. You gotta be awake. It's a it's a good morning to be in church. It's good to see some friends back. Um, it's good to see you all. But as I was thinking this week about this service and this message and everything, I started thinking about. Have you ever noticed that it's usually the small things that get us in trouble? You know, it, it's the little things that really don't matter that much that get us in trouble and everything. I, I remember when I was first married, and unfortunately my wife's not feeling good. It's the beginning of the school year, so every sick kid in the world always comes to her class and coughs all over her. So hopefully pray for her that she starts feeling better um, and, and everything. So she's not going to hear this unless she pays attention and watches this, and she's probably sleeping, so I'm good. Um, but <laughs> I remember when we first got married, um, probably our first, like, fight fight was over towels. Literally, uh, we brand new newlyweds and everything, and I'm sitting there, and I'm trying to be the helpful husband, the good husband. Um, by the way, real men do dishes and laundry. I just want you to know, guys, they, they really do. Um, but I did the laundry, and I was folding towels, and my wife came in and says, you folded them wrong. I was like, what do you mean? They're folded. And she's like, no, you folded them wrong. They, won't, they don't fit in the closet right. I'm like, they don't lose mass because I fold them differently. And she's like, no, you got to fold them this way. And I literally got out a tape measure and, like, measured and did And I hate math. And I measured it and did the calculator. It's like, it is the same amount as ever. And she's like, no, but you're folding them wrong. And so I just gave up and folded it the way she does. By the way, I still fold them the way she wants them. Guys, sometimes it's just good to say, yes, dear, and shut up. <laughs> I, I learned er early and stuff. But it was a ridiculous thing um, that got caught up on something that was not a big deal. And I think so often in church and in our faith, we get caught up on the stuff that doesn't matter. Um, I think so often in churches and in time, we major on the minors, uh, on the things that we can agree to disagree upon. You know, I, it, it breaks my heart that w there was a time when this country, it was okay to disagree with one another. Now it's like you offend everybody if you're not everything. It was okay to debate. And like one of my favorite presidents, one of my heroes, American heroes for me is Abraham Lincoln. Um, and if you've never read... Um, the book uh, Team of Rivals. It's huge. I mean, it's a giant book, but it's such a, you know, he went, literally went and got everybody that was against him in the election and put him in his cabinet. He put his rivals with him, people that automatically disagreed with him. And so, and he was, he's probably one of the greatest presidents we've ever had. But the point is, is that so often we get stuck on the little stuff. We get stuck on the, on the little things and we forget the big idea of why we're here together, why we follow Jesus, why Jesus came in the first place. And so that's really what I want to talk about on this morning as we're looking at Acts. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 15. If, <coughs> excuse me, if you don't have a Bible, we have some around. You can grab one. Um, if you don't have, if you don't, if you lost yours, you don't own one, you can take one of ours. You can log into our web, our, um, our Wi-Fi here. It says G <coughs> GBC Guest. Just type in Find More and you can follow along. Um, but as always and forever, as long as I am pastor, I'm, I'm going to say this and I'm going to remind you of this. These are the only words that matter. Um, it, it's the only reason I get to speak. It's the only words that make a difference. It's the only words that change lives. My words mean absolutely nothing if they're not in line with these words. And so out of respect and acknowledgement of that, would you stand with me as we read in Acts chapter 15, 
Verse 1, it starts, it says, Some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. After Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in serious argument and debate, Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem about this issue. And when they had been sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. And they brought great joy to all the brothers and sisters. And when they arrived at Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the believers who belonged to the, to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Will you pray with me? God, I just thank you this morning for the opportunity just to come together, to gather in your name, to be in your presence. God, I thank you that we don't have to do anything. We didn't have to beg or pray or ask for you to be here because you were here before we got here. God, this is about you and not about me. This is about you and not about this church and what you want to do in this community and in this world. So, God, I pray this morning these words would be your words, not mine. That you would use them to encourage us, to challenge us, to change us. God, and that we would be receptive to where, you're, where you lead us. God, you would give us ears to hear, hearts to respond, and the courage to live it out. God, that you would build your church here God, and that we would focus on the things that are important, the things that changes lives and not preferences and all the other things. So, God, have your way. Whatever needs to be done this morning, God, you know what needs to happen. Father, let it be done. Let your will be done this morning. And may you get all the glory and all the praise. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, I I think so often we get stuck on the minor things and, and stuff. I, I, I remember long, long ago, I was, we were missionaries in Italy, and I worked for chaplains on a Navy base, and I had two Catholic priests. I had um, one Pentecostal guy. I had one, the Church of Nebraska Reformed. I don't know what it was. I've never heard it. So, Roxy, I'll talk to you about that later. Um, <laughs> um, I don't know either. But, I mean, I had all these different guys. But I remember one of my Catholic priests, they, they brought me in. He's like, you're a Baptist. You just want to save everybody. It's like, well, yeah, I want everyone to be saved, but I'm not doing that. It's Jesus' job. And saying, oh, you're, you're going to teach this. I said, you know, chaplain, Father, listen, you got Matthew, Mark, and Luke in your Bible? He's like, yeah. I said, so do I. We'll stay there. We'll, we'll stay in the Gospels. Let, let's, 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 let's go on the things that we agree upon, and let's there. But the truth is, is we, we get stuck. We get stuck on our preferences. We, we get stuck on the things that we, we like, maybe our traditions and whatever we've done growing up. You know, like, um, you know, I, I have friends to this day, they're like, it's King James only. I'm like, okay, I like that Bible. It's very poetic. I was a literature major for a while, one of my many majors. Um, and I, and I love it and stuff, and it's beautiful. Um, I think there may be some better translations. No, no, it's King James only. And you only can sing hymns, and you can sing hymns because you're facing to the left. I mean, it's just crazy some of the stuff. We get so stuck on these preferences. And what happens is we close the doors. And, and if you hear anything else this morning, if you hear anything else about the way church should be and stuff, the door should never, ever be closed on a church just because we don't agree with somebody. We can agree to disagree, but we got to focus, focus 
on the majors. The, the problem is, is we start trying to add to what is required. We, we start adding to what it is. And there was another group that did that. They were called the Pharisees. And can I tell you the most hard, harshest, hardest words Jesus spoke was to religious people, not to those who didn't know. It, 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 was, it, it was all the problem, and they kept adding and adding, and Jesus just said, you know, enough is enough. We, we don't want to do it. You don't lock up the doors of my house to let people in. In fact, listen to this. You want to read how he really felt about the Pharisees? Read Matthew 23, but I just pulled out this one. Matthew 23, 13, he says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You lock up the kingdom of heaven from people, for you don't, for you don't go in, and you don't allow those to entering to go in. And, and I just want to say, you know, to this morning as a challenge, we cannot be a people that lock the door. We cannot, like, it is not our job to be keepers of the kingdom. Like, all we do is we, we are speakers of the kingdom. We, we proclaim the kingdom, but we don't lock the door. And if our preferences and, and our things that we've added on to our belief system get in the way, they need to go away. Because that's exactly what's happening in Acts here. That, that's hap- exactly what's, what's going on here. It's the same old story. It's the same story today. So turn back to Acts chapter 15, starting verse 1. The dispute, look at, look at what the dispute is. It says, some men came down from Judea and began to teach brothers. Unless you were circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. Right there, they're like, listen, Jesus is awesome. We think he's great, but we need Jesus and this. You, you, you've got to be circumcised. And I know there are some groups out there that say you need Jesus and this. Can I tell you something? Jesus has always, will always, and forever will always be enough. Nothing more, nothing less. It has always been about Jesus. It goes on, Paul and Barnabas, verse 2, they engaged them in serious argument and debate. And then Paul and Barnabas, some of those who were appointed to go up to the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem about this issue. When they had been sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, to, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. And they brought great joy to all their brothers and sisters. Paul and Barnabas like, listen, God's doing some great things. Why are we trying to add on to this? Why are we trying to put more on this? And actually, I think what was really happening here is forever, in all of history, the Jewish people had always been... The people. And it's this mentality of us and them. There's us and then there's them. And unfortunately, I think in some of our churches and in some of our lives, we we get into our faith and we get so locked in and just being around Christians and just being around in our faith that we think it's us and it's them. And let's circle the wagons. This is going on more and more in our culture as our culture just goes crazy. And it gets stupid. Listen, I listen to the news all the time, and, and I'm in my car listening. I'm like, are you kidding me? That is the most idiotic thing I've ever heard in my life. How could you even think that could be a law? Or how could you ever think that would be feasible or you could do that and stuff? In, in every aspect of life, you go to the movies, and it's showing how much the culture is anti-church, anti-faith, anti-Jesus. And, and it's just growing. And so as that happens, I think a lot of us just kind of circle the wagons like, oh, my goodness. It's so funny. I remember when contemporary Christian music came out. I was a young kid. I mean, back in that day, it was like Petra, okay? (laughs) I'm dating myself. 
it was, it was Michael W. Smith on a synthesizer. And, and I remember my youth pastor's wife coming out and just going, we had it on in the parking lot. She's like, turn that devil music off. It'll be the ruin of the church. I'm like, your husband used to play rock and roll with Jerry Lee Lewis on the piano. We ain't turning it off. But, I mean, we get so locked in and say, it's only got to be this. It's only by that. And it's us and it's against them. It's not us against them. It's us who have hope. It's them who needs it and we carry it. And, and so that's, that's the dispute going on. But the truth is, if these Jews would have thought about it, if these guys that would have came in and said, hey, you need to be circumcised, you need to do that, that the law was never enough. It was never, ever enough. In, in fact, that's what the author of Hebrews, he says. He says in Hebrews 10.1, since the law has only a shadow of good things to come, and not the actual form of those realities, it can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continue to offer year after year. For Before Jesus, all they had hope for is like, can I make it to the day of atonement so we can do the sacrifice and then, okay, I'm good, and then we got to do it again next year, and we got to do it again next year. And the law was there. And listen, the law hasn't changed. The standard has always been the same. God created us to be perfect. That's still the standard for us to be perfect. But praise God, because of Jesus and his covering and his righteousness, I am perfect in God's eyes. But only through Jesus. It, it's the, the law wasn't able to keep him. In fact, that's the defense they use. If you drop down to verse 10, Peter Peter stands up and he's talking to these elders and the apostles and, and they're considering what's going on. Do we need to add this? And look what Peter says in verse 10. He says, Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they are. All Peter's saying is like, listen, it's not, it's not about all this other stuff. It's not about all this tradition. It's about Jesus. We weren't able to do this. Why would we try to force them? These Gentile believers that don't know anything. And, and what, what I love about this is, at one time in our country and in our culture, we were in a culture that you could just talk about God and people had a reference point. You know, because they grew up, the church was the center of the community. You could just say, hey, you know, we, we have Sunday school and everything. They're like, oh, I know what that is. And there was a reference point. We live in a culture now just like this where we're dealing with people that have no reference point of who God is. I mean, think about that. We, we've gone back in our culture to Greek thought where it's just like, you know, whatever I live, that's the way I live. I do the best I can. If I'm a good person, I'm a good person. My good outweighs my bad. And I just try to do this. But there's no reference point to God. In the Jewish tradition, there was always a reference point. So if you talked about creation, people were like, oh, yeah, seven days. Yeah, I know that. Noah, all that stuff. There was a reference point. What Paul and everyone is dealing with is a group of people of Gentiles and, and Greeks and, and, and Romans that have no reference point of a one true God. Guys, we're back there today in our culture. That's exciting to me. 
Because as I study Acts and I see what God did in Acts and stuff, I'm like, oh, this is about to happen again. But there's no reference point. It was a yoke no one has been able to carry. Not even the Jews, and that's what Peter's saying. It's like, we couldn't do it. Why do we expect them to do it? And then he goes on, and he's like, listen, there's proof of this, that God is moving. Peter talks about, hey, when I got sent to Cornelius, remember that? You know, the sheet came down. I was like, I'm not going to eat that stuff. God said, don't call unclean what I made clean. He went to Cornelius, and all of a sudden the Gentiles opened up. Paul, Paul's success of going and preaching and the Holy Spirit coming, coming on people. The prophets even foretold this. If you go down a little bit farther, James stands up. And, and he's talking about like Joel and Isaiah down in verse 16. And he says, in verse 15, he says, And the words of the prophets agree with this as it is written. After these things, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. I will build its ruins and set it up again. So the rest of humanity may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, declares the Lord, who make these things known from long ago. It's always been the plan. If you were here on Sunday nights at all, we went through the covenants of God. And that was always the plan when he looked at Abraham and said, listen, you're going to be a blessing to every nation, every person tongue through your seed. It's coming that all will get a chance to know me. And so the defense is like, yes, it's not about adding anything. It's Jesus enough. And the evidence is, is that the Holy Spirit filled these people. It's so funny to me as I read through this, and, and if we go back and look at Peter, everyone's surprised when they tell him about Jesus and the Holy Spirit fills the people, and they're like, wow, they're just like us. See, it, we can't add to what's already perfect. We, we, we can't add to it. That's why Paul later in Ephesians, in 2.8.9, he says, for you are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourself. It is God's gift and not from works so that nobody can boast. Listen, you can't make yourself good enough for God. You know, I was talking to some people and, and I've had this conversation before and they're they were worried about like, you know, things happening and, and, and someone being pulled down and everything and. And I don't, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, we had this thing in our youth ministry called evangelical dating. <laughs> where we would like date people that we, we knew weren't Christians and stuff. And we did it because they were good looking. But in, in our mind, we we're saying we're doing it to evangelize them. That girl needs Jesus, so I should date her. <laughs> can, can I tell you something? I used, to, I used to always show this to my students. I always do it. There's this thing that in a relationship where there's you and there's the other person and then there's Jesus in the middle. And the truth is, as you two get closer to Jesus, you get closer together. But if you're trying to get closer to Jesus and they're not, see, uh, there's no such thing as evangelical dating. I, I think that's why Paul warns them. He says, don't be unequally yoked and careful because chances are we're not going to lift anybody. It is easier to pull somebody down. For those of you that do wrestling or anything like that, it is easier to pull somebody down than it is to pick them up. That, 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 that's, ju that's just the way it is. And so it, it's, it's not our works. It's, it's, it's not that. It is, it is grace. It is, is a gift of God. We, we get saved. It's not by being a good person. 
Jesus didn't come to make you a good person. Jesus came to make you righteous and holy in the eyes of a holy God. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we would become the righteousness of God, the Bible says. And so you can't add to it. The gospel's always been enough. And it's Jesus and it's Jesus alone. Uh, it always has. So, so what was the decision? What was the decision? Look at, look at verse 19. So they meet, they talk about this, and I love this. Man, this, this is the way church meetings should go, by the way. <laughs> it, it's not about preferences. It, it's, not, it's, not about, it's not about who wants what or what traditions and stuff. It's about what's the most important thing. And the most important thing is Jesus. Unfortunately, I've, I've, there's been a growth in church planting by church splitting. That is not a way to plant a church. That is not a way to grow a church just because we, we split. And I think God has just allowed that because, because we weren't doing the job that we should be of just reproducing ourselves. But I, I've, seen, I've seen churches get together. I have been in meetings where someone said, oh my gosh, they painted the bathroom an off-white color, and that's just, I didn't approve that. And literally for two hours, people are arguing about, is it eggshell? Or is it bright white? I don't know. I don't care. It's a bathroom. Let's get back to Jesus. And so I love that they came together and said, okay, we've heard this. We're going to make a decision. Here's what's important. Look at verse 19. It says, therefore, in my judgment, this is James speaking, who is really kind of taken over. We talked a little bit about this last week. James has taken over the church in Jerusalem as, as kind of he says, therefore, it's my judgment. We should not cause difficulties for those among the Gentiles who turn to God. But instead, we should write them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from eating anything that has been strangled and and from blood, for since ancient times Moses has had those who proclaim him in every city and every Sabbath day he is read aloud in the synagogues. What he's saying is like, listen, we need to major on the majors. And here are the things that are important. So the very first part is doctrine. He's like, it is Jesus and it is Jesus alone. I, if, if I'm sounding like I'm repeating myself, I want you to hear that. It is Jesus. It is Jesus alone that saves. He's the only one. He's the one that lived a perfect life. He's the one that had a perfect death, and he's the one that rose again. Anybody else, anything else that says, hey, this can save you, show me the scars, put some water on the ground, let me see you walk across it without sinking, rise, die, and then rise again, and then maybe I'll buy into it, and maybe I'll believe you, but for now and forever, it is Jesus, and it is Jesus alone, and that's what we focus on. And if we focus on anything else, if we add anything else, we take it away. We don't add to it. Every time. It is, it is Jesus, and it is Jesus alone. In fact, that's Romans 8, 1 and 2. Paul wrote this. He says, therefore, no condemnation now exists for those in Christ Jesus. Because the Spirit's law of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. It is Jesus that brings freedom. He's the only way. Your way, my way, always leads to bondage, always leads to imprisonment. Jesus' way always leads to freedom. It, it is about Jesus. And any church that proclaims anything other than Jesus is not 
a church. I'm telling you that right now. We, we live in a culture that says there are many roads. They obviously don't have the same Bible as I because my Bible says Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And that is an unpopular thing to say nowadays. I don't care. Truth ain't always popular because the truth is always truth. It is, it is Jesus and it is Jesus alone because he's the only one that could keep that law. He's the only one that could live perfectly. On the practical side, uh, on the practical side, th there are there are some concessions I think we need to make. I, I think we have to look at, look at our prayer. And look what he says. He says, "Listen, the, you know, the doctrinal." He says, "Don't worship idols. Abstain from sexual immorality." Can I tell you this? Is just a little rabbit trail. Can I tell you every social issue we have right now is because of sexual immorality? Because we're not doing it God's way. I know this is a little PG-13, but it, it's true. I, I just want you to think about it. Every issue we fight is about how we treat sex and God. Because, see, I don't think abortion is about killing babies. Because I think if that was on a billboard, hey, we want to kill babies, it wouldn't stop long ago. What abortion is about is us saying, I want to have sex with who I want and not have any consequences for it. it it's a huge thing. In our culture, the fall of Rome, one of the greatest empires, if not the greatest empire that ever was on this planet, came from inside and it came from stuff like that. And so there's the doctrinal that there's only one God and I serve and I worship one God. I don't deal with idols. I don't put anything in front of God and I keep myself pure. Then, but then there's there's the practical side. He says from eating anything that's been strangled and from blood. That's a very Jewish thing. There was a Jewish thing that says, you know, they wanted all the blood drained out of it. That's what kosher means, that all the blood has been drained out of it. It's been prepared in such a way. And the idea is that it was a concession for unity. The idea was that, hey, we're going to do this and abstain from this because it may offend you. It, it may hurt you. And uh, unity is more important than my preference. Which means the, the music we choose and stuff like that. It's not always my favorite music. I love hymns. I love this stuff. But there's some people that connect with that. And so they're like, you know what? I'll, I'll deal with that. You know, wh wh where I sit or how the order of service or how we do things and stuff. Unity has always been the key. And so, so I concede to some things. You know, I, I had a parent one time says, you need to preach up there that there should be no dating. Ever. No dating until they're married. I'm like, where does it say that? <laughs> show me, show me where, where, where it says that because I'm not going to preach no dating. I'm going to preach purity of heart because that's going to solve the issue. But I'm not going to preach no dating because then I said, I, we can preach no dating, but you need to betroth your daughter when she's 12 years old then. And she's got to be married by the time she's 13. That parent didn't like me and walked away angry. <laughs> I mean, th th there, there, there are things in here and stuff. The Bible says don't be drunk. And everything. It, it doesn't say don't drink. Now let me let me just preface that alcohol here and alcohol today is totally different. Alcohol here was like grape juice. That's why it's a strong wine and everything. But because of that, you're not going to see your pastor walking into a bar having a beer. 
I lived in Germany for like three years. There's amazing stuff there. I'm not going to walk in a bar and have a beer and stuff because somebody's going to see that and they go like, you shouldn't be doing that. The idea is that I'm not going to put a stumbling block in front of me and so I'll concede some of my rights and some of my preferences and desires if it means unity stays because unity has always, always been the key. In fact, that's what Jesus that's what Paul talked about. He said, therefore, let us no longer criticize one another and decide never to put a stumbling block or a pitfall in your brother's way. Don't trip people up because of your preferences. We do it so often. We get so wrapped in what I want, what I want. Can I tell you something? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. It's his kingdom. It's his church. It's his plan. And whatever we need to do to reach more people and stuff. I mean, Paul says, I am everything to everyone for the sake of the gospel so that one might come. If I got to wear a kilt on Sunday mornings, which is not going to be a pretty sight, but it means people will meet Jesus, I'll put a kilt on if it means people will meet Jesus. Y'all don't want to see these knees. <laughs> don't make me do that. But it's, it's, not about, it's not about me saying, well, this is the way it's always been done, so we're always going to do it this way, and we need to do this, and you need to do that, and this, and this, and you've got to wear a suit and go wear a tie. I love, like, one of our underlying themes of our church is, like, you know, just come as you are. I'll let God change your heart and wh- whatever's going on. Come as you are. If you, don't, if you don't own a suit, I don't care. I own three of them. I wear them at weddings and funerals. Funerals are easy because they can't complain. Sorry, weddings are hard. <laughs> weddings are hard. Or I'll, I'll put a jacket on. That's I love it. You guys pick on me because every so often I'll put a sports coat on and come in and they're like, oh, what's happening this morning? Hey, I'm like, I just wanted to put a coat on. It doesn't matter all that stuff. Don't be a stumbling block. Stop criticizing. That's why the author of Hebrews, he says, let's lift one another. Let's spur one another on to good works, not tear each other down. One of the hardest places to be a human being and be real is in the church. Can I tell you, it's messy out there. And so, by goodness, it should be messy in here, too. Life is messy. We live in a fallen, broken world. We are fallen. We are broken. And so we accept anybody that comes through that door and we love them the same and we go out and reach out the same and we don't put a stumbling block because we'll let Jesus change their hearts and then everything will change if that's our focus. The truth is, is we've got a choice in our church to either grow or divide. Those are the two options. Either you are someone that brings unity Or you are someone that brings disunity. There is nothing in between that. That's what I used to tell my daughters. When I finally got old, when I finally was like, I'm just done. I'm not arguing with you. I'm not fighting with you anymore. You have two choices. You either bring unity in our family or you cause disunity in your family. If you're going to cause disunity in my family, there's the door. I've done my job. You're over 18 now. It's not child abuse anymore. It's self-defense. Get out. (laughs) But you either bring unity or you don't. And unity is the key. Guys, that's why Jesus prayed for it 
In John 17, he says, I pray not only for these, but for also for those who believe in me through the message. They may all be one as you as you, Father, are in me, I am in you. May they also be one in us so the world may believe you sent me. The only evangelism program that Jesus promoted, the, the, the way that it was the unity of the church. And when we come together from all different backgrounds, when we come together from all different landscapes, every other place, economic, racial, whatever it is, when we're all come together and we are unified, the world sees that and says, man, I want that because something's different. The difference is, is Jesus. Listen, that's, that's why at the very get-go, we became a covenantal church. It wasn't so that we could have a membership role or any of that stuff, but it was the idea that the most important thing to me in my heart for this church is the unity of the church. And so you should know what you should expect from me, and you should know what's being expected of you. And we believe these things, and we are unified. On the little things, man, we can disagree all the time. But on these things, what it means to be part of a church, we are unified. See, because we, we don't talk about church discipline that much anymore and stuff like that. And yet it's still necessary. Th- there are moments where we have to come up and say, hey, and that's my job. That's the elder's job. To guard the unity of the church. And when they see something going on with the pastor, if anybody, man, that's why we have that covenant saying, listen, we agreed on this. And for the unity of the church, we need to deal with this. <coughs> That's why. Because unity is, is, is the key. So how do we grow? How do we stay unified? It, it's very simple. And I'm going to go over this really, really quick. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I love this chapter. Every pastor will preach this at a wedding. When, when a bride and groom are standing up there and he'll preach this and he'll talk about this. Can I tell you something? This was never meant for a wedding. Paul wrote this to the church, to us, of how we should treat one another. Listen to this. It says love is patient. We understand not everybody is at the same place that we are. We understand that some people may be higher up or lower up or struggling or something, but we are patient. Love is always patient. Love is kind. We look for the best in people. We look for the goodness in people. We look for what, what's good about them. Not pick out all the things that we see that are wrong, but it is kind. Love does not envy. We don't look at somebody else and say, oh, I wish I could do that, or why can't I be up front and play an instrument, or why can't I do this, or why can't I do that? I want to get up and do this. And, and so if it doesn't envy. It's not boastful. It's not arrogant. It's not about me. It's not shining out. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. It's like, look at them. Look at amazing people that are around me. It's not rude or self-seeking. It's not irritable, especially on a Sunday morning at 9 o'clock when you're really tired and you have to get up and come in here and like set up or do something. It's not irritable. It doesn't lose its cool. It does not keep a record of wrongs. Man, that's a big one. Can, can I tell you something? And it's been proven scientifically. The healthiest thing that you could ever do is forgive. And let me just remind you, forgive doesn't mean forget. Forgive means don't bring it up again. When you actually forgive, don't bring it up again. Because I I just want you to think about that for a moment. What if God kept bringing up, well, you did this before. I think that's why Jesus said, like, is, you know, 
And when he's teaching us to pray, he says, and forgive as you have been forgiven. How dare us hold a grudge? How dare us? Don't keep a record. Let it, let it go. It's healthy for you. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in truth. Evil in truth is uncomfortable. Even when our toes get stepped on. But it rejoices. It bears all things, believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. But love never ends. We need to be a people marked by love. This type of love. A love that is true and sincere and pure and holy and forgiving. And that doesn't end. And when we treat each other that way in the church, you can't help but be unified. And when we treat each other like that in the church and to the people outside the walls of this church, people are going to look and say, that's what I've been looking for. You want to grow a church? You want to see a church grow and expand and do all that stuff? Like, like I want to see this church grow and, and expand. It starts right there. Jesus alone and love one another this way. What's amazing is after this in, in Acts, they went back and took this letter to all the churches and it encouraged those churches. Man, they're like, okay, we can do this. We can concede a little bit for the unity of the church. With Jesus, Jesus alone, we can do all that. And those churches exploded and kept growing and kept growing and kept growing. We wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for that meeting problem. It would have ended in Jerusalem. I love it. Joni Erickson Tata. Um, if you don't know who she is, she was a lady, um, when she was young, she dove into a lake, broke her neck, she's a paraplegic now, and she goes around, you, you want to talk about someone who's had a hard life, she goes around and just preaches love and, and God and everything. I love, she says this, she says, believers are never told to become one. We already are one and are expected to act like it. That's what it means to be the church. That's a growth strategy. That's a strategy to evangelize a community and do that, to love one another, to treat each other, to make Jesus Jesus only. Jesus the major focus on those things. Yeah, we're going to agree and we're going to disagree. There are going to be things that I'm like, hey, we should try this and we're going to do it this way. And you're going to sit there and go like, I don't like that and everything. I'm okay. I'm okay. We can agree to disagree. And there are going to be things that you suggest. And I'm going to be like, no, nah, I ain't going to do that. That's, that's crazy. And that's fine. As long as it's the minor stuff. But on the major stuff, that there is one God. There is one Savior. And we all need him. He came. He lived. He died. He rose again. And he's the one that unifies us all. That we will never, ever move off that line. And that as a church, we should love one another. We should be unified together. We should be out there ministering to people out there, to each other in here. That we should take it outside these walls. That is a line that we will never, ever cross. That is the line that we stand on. All the other stuff, 
we can agree to disagree, but when we do that, I'm going to tell you something. This world, this community is going to look at that and say, man, that's what I want to be part of. And then we're in an election cycle again. The entire country is seeing the disunity of our country and how divided we are. How amazing would it be to be able to see churches and see how united they are? Not for the sake of Grace Baptist, not for the sake of me, but for God's kingdom and God's glory. We are already one. We just got to act like it. And we got a major on the majors. Let's pray.